20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into a all new co branded episode of the Pack a Day Podcast along with Packers Wire. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow Paul at Paul underscore Brettel. Excited to be joined by you once again, Paul. You had a lot of great stuff out there as I was kind of going through all of your articles and your timeline. You had a ton of interesting stuff, so excited to dig into it today. But before we get there, how the heck are you doing? Hey, Andy, always happy to join you. I'm doing fantastic. And man, does life come at you fast in the NFL? And not even just the fact that it's a a Sunday to Thursday game, but we'll obviously get into it here, but the injury report and all that stuff, there was, especially for the fans out there, very little time to relish in what was a very good Packers victory on Sunday. Yeah, you immediately start getting the the bad news of the injury report. And, and obviously during the game, it looked like it was potentially going to be worse. Aaron Jones's injury looked like it maybe could have been, you know, season ending. And thankfully, we find out today it's an MCL sprain. He's had those in the past. He's come back from them relatively quick. Not going to play this Thursday against Detroit. That was one of the big pieces of news from today. But overall, good news on Aaron Jones. Good news on Corey Ballantyne. Uh, he is good to go. At least he practiced in full. Rashawn Gary practiced in full. Christian Watson practiced in full. We didn't get all bad news throughout the course of the day. Darnell Savage seems to be continually uh, practicing and looks like he may have at least an outside chance to play on Thursday. We'll see if they uh, do anything there and add him to the active roster and get him ready to go. That's a positive piece of news. But we, unfortunately, uh, as per usual, when it comes to the Packers with injuries, had some bad news as well. The lighter one of the two is that Jaden Reed was added to the injury report. Uh, he was a limited participant, so we're going to have to kind of monitor him through the rest of the week. And, and well, the rest of the week is basically like it's going to be game day and we're going to see if he's going to be able to go or not. But Luke Musgrave, the big one, he has, uh, per Bill Huber, a lacerated kidney. Last I checked, one of the things that you don't want from your kidney is it for, for it to be lacerated. Uh, that does not sound fun. He was hospitalized. Um, Apparently is out of the hospital, which is good news, but it's a pretty significant injury. He's clearly going to be out against Detroit, probably going to be out for a significant time period moving forward. I would guess that there's a good chance that he goes on IR, but Paul, take it away. Anything that you want to discuss from an injury standpoint? Yeah. And unfortunately, the, there's a lot, lot of, lot of paths I can go down with this topic right. here, but I mean, just the... You know, Lafleur has talked about, and Stenovich as well has talked about Luke Musgrave's toughness prior to this, uh, specifically referring to the ankle injury he suffered in the Denver game, and how they didn't think he was going to even have the opportunity to play at all that following week, and there he did. And so he played the rest of Sunday's game with this injury. He didn't tell anybody; just fought through it. And then after the game is when the conversations around this started. And as you mentioned, apparently there's a hospital visit involved. Um, he's out of there now, but goodness, talk about, you know, football toughness and being able to, to fight through that. And just in general, you know, when we're talking about the success that this Packers offense has had as of late, you know, outside of Jordan Love, who have been the key contributors to this? Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, and Luke Musgrave. And we know Luke Musgrave isn't going to play. You know, Dontavian Wicks is in concussion protocol on such a short time frame. You know, probably not looking good that he's going to be out there Thursday. And then Jaden Reed, that chest injury, Lafleur said he suffered that during the the game as well. Uh, Lafleur had mentioned it post game and initially after the game into the even into Monday, uh, 
going through walkthroughs, like Reed didn't think there was anything of it, but he came in on Tuesday wasn't feeling well. And that's why he was added to the injury report. So the three big catalysts behind what has been this offensive surge, for lack of a better term, as of late, uh, it looks like at least two of them, the Green Bay Packers are going to be without. So obviously a massive loss going up against uh, a very good defense and an offense that knows how to how to put up points as well. So again, not not good whatsoever on a short week and an already difficult, daunting matchup is going to become even more challenging now. You know, we look at the tight end position specifically with, you know, Luke Musgrave, obviously we just mentioned him, Josiah DeGuara, you know, he hasn't practiced at all this week either. If he can't go, you know, that's Ben Sims, that's Tucker Craft, all they have left. And I don't believe they have any tight ends on the practice squad either. So perhaps, you know, unless I guess Henry Pearson, they could elevate for game day to kind of be that third option for them. But there's so many injuries that they have right now, and you only have those two practice squad elevations that feels like there's going to have to be some sort of maneuvering potentially with IR and then officially adding someone to the roster to navigate all this because the floor brought up today as well that it's not just about is this player ready to go on Thursday. It's can they – do we think they can get through the entire game? Because if there's that kind of eh, not so sure and they only go five or ten snaps and you didn't plan accordingly for that from a roster construction standpoint and who you elevated – that really, really hurts you. And in the long run, it's just better to be without that player uh, from the, from the get go anyway. So at least from a roster standpoint, you're at that full capacity. So a lot for this Packers team to navigate outside of even the difficulty of the matchup that lies ahead, not just a short week, but who this lions team is the juice, the energy that they have uh, playing at home on Thanksgiving, always a, a, a big, big environment for those, for those Detroit fans. On the positive side of things, as you mentioned, Darnell Savage, uh, he's been designated for a return, and it sounds like there's has the potential to play on Thursday. Rudy Ford, Jair Alexander have both at least been uh, limited participants in both practices this week versus uh, not practicing last week. I know Alexander practiced last two days in limited fashion, but my point being they seem to be trending in the right direction. And again, just getting those, those guys back on the field is going to be important because this is going to be a game where you got to find a way to stop the run. And if you're going to stop the run, that probably means you're going to have to commit an extra, an extra defender to that box to do so. And so having the security or at least as much use as you can on the back end, so you're not burned in that, in that facet of the game, obviously going to be really, really important as well. Yeah. Like you said, there's so many different angles to cover here from an injury standpoint, they might have to churn a little bit of that bottom of the roster. Potentially their two practice squad call-ups are going to have to be super strategic. I think there's a decent chance, as you mentioned, that Musgrave just goes on IR and then Henry Pearson gets the call up. Um, I mean, they could look outside, but I mean, there's not any time left to bring somebody else from the outside. And it's not like they've got a Patrick Taylor situation at tight end where they can just go pick somebody up that knows the entire playbook that makes that far more complicated. So yeah, I, it's going to be really interesting. I do think sometimes these situations force you to get super creative and sometimes that creativity can lead, you know, you know, lead to doing things different ways. And maybe you stumble across a couple of things that, you have success with, or at least that the other team wasn't game planning for. Maybe they can catch the lines by surprise on a couple of things. Who knows? If nothing else, it's going to give some guys additional opportunity. Tucker Craft, this is your big time moment. You're going to get tight end one, and you're going to see a ton of stuff because I don't think they're going to build the offense around Ben Sims. So 
the tight end is going to be a lot of Tucker craft. Um, you know, uh, all of it, like there's, there's so many different injuries that are going to play a part into this. Samore Toure could uh, see some increased playing time. Malik Keith could see some increased playing time. So we'll see what some of these guys make out of that because with opportunity, um, you never know who's going to make the most out of it. So hopefully some positives can come out of this as well. But like you said, this this offensive resurgence has been in large part due to Reed, Wicks, Musgrave. There's, I, I think there's zero chance. Uh, obviously, we know Musgrave's not playing. I think there's zero chance Wicks plays on concussion protocol in a short week. Um, Reed, maybe. And then we know Aaron Jones is out. Like That is a massive mm-hmm. jump to your offense. And they're going to have to do some real heavy lifting and figuring some things out with being so shorthanded against the Lions team that gave them fits when they did have a lot of these guys healthy. So, oh, and on a short week uh, too, by the way, on the road in a tough environment, like you mentioned all of it, it's, it is a really, really tough ask. If anything, maybe they're playing with a little bit of house money and nobody's going to be expecting them to win. Like I said, it is a short week. Hey, go in, shock the world, see what you can do and uh, see if you can surprise some people on Thanksgiving. All right. Enough injury fun for one day. Uh, let's hopefully we don't have to talk too much more about that coming off of the Lions game, and hopefully we get only good news moving forward. But one of the things I wanted to bring up because I've been I've been pretty tough on the defense this week, but you brought up a great point uh, throughout the course of the week. The one thing that Green Bay did do well in this game was red zone defense, and I do think yes, there were uh, there's a, f- a key fumble, maybe a couple drops that played a little bit of a part into this as well, but. Uh, They did get off the field in the red zone, which is a huge piece of their success this past week. Um, What did you think about the Packers red zone defense? Yeah. So, I mean, Matt LaFleur credited that phase of the game uh, right afterwards, especially in the fourth quarter. Uh, The Chargers had four trips down there compared to just two for the Packers offense and Green Bay held them to just one touchdown. Uh, As you mentioned, there was some help from the Chargers along the way. They had the fumble, which Kenny Clark did cause, but it kind of was sparked by Austin Eckler first tripping or slipping uh, for Clark to get into that position. There was two key drops from Keenan Allen that set up or resulted in the Chargers kicking field goals. So (laughs) they were a big part of what the Packers of the Packers red zone success in this game and kind of the, what I've been trying to convey in some, in, in that article and others this week as well is yes, they got help from the Chargers, but they absolutely needed the help. Like coming into this game with who they had on the back end of their secondary, two seventh round rookies, Jonathan Owens. I know he was a starter last year, but that was his first year as a starter. And we know coverage isn't a strong suit of his. He's been a backup on this team. You have Corey Ballantyne, who's primarily a practice squad player. Like from Joe Barry's perspective, and I, I'm not here to defend Joe Barry, but from his perspective in terms of, you know, I wrote about this in, a, in an article on Saturday. How he went about that game was a tough task because you can play the too high safety, the more passive approach to give your young secondary some help on the back end. But you're going up against Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen. They'll just pick you apart. You try to take that part away. Now you're putting those young cornerbacks, that safety group, you're putting them on an island to a degree. Like out the gate, this was already a really difficult matchup for them. So if they were going to come up with stops, if they were going to hold the Chargers to you know 20 points or fewer like they did, 100%, they were going to need help, which is what they fortunately got. I wrote an article just specifically about the help that they got, the four drop passes, the fourth down play on the opening drive, the two red zone drops by Keenan Allen, and then Quinton Johnson's drop at the end of the game on that final drive. Like being conservative, the Chargers left 14 points on the board 
it just from those four drop passes. Like if one of those plays are made, the game probably swings in the other direction and the Chargers win. The Packers got help. They 100% needed the help as well from the matchup. And, you know, that it was that it was I'm sure it was nice to see just the tide turn a little bit, because a lot of times this season, it's been the Packers who have been who have been giving the other team those gifts, who have been helping the other team out, who have been having the self-inflicted errors take away from what they were trying to build throughout the game. So, you know, the the Chargers, you know, they tend to have a history of that as well. And this time around, the Packers were the benefactor of that. Um, and it, it definitely showed in the red zone. One other thing I'll say to to give this defense some credit as well is I think, you know, Matt LaFleur talked about last week from the Packers' <laughs> perspective on offense that, all right, how do we get better in the red zone? He says it starts with being better on the ground, being better in the run game. And, you know, that's going to be the catalyst inside the 20. It's a confined space. There's less room to operate. It's and it's it's innately more difficult to move the ball through the air already just because of where you are on the field. So having a run game to lean on, uh, not allowing the defense to, you know, commit an extra defender into coverage to muddy things up even more, it's a really important aspect. And for the most part, the Packers' defense – held up well in that regard if we take away the austin eckler 37 yard run which initially was actually played well there was a missed tackle at the line of scrimmage by Devontae wyatt him and joshua kelly combined i think it was uh 15 carries for 40 yards or something along those lines minus that one run from eckler so throughout the game they did well against the run and especially in the red zone i think is where you can see that that element, that aspect of the game magnified. So that was a contributor. But like I just mentioned as well, the the Chargers helped out for sure. Yeah, I am glad that you mentioned a couple of those things. A, and one of the things I was big on going into the week is this is a secondary without its five preferred options in Savage, Ford, um, you know, Stokes, Jair, and Razul at the beginning of the year. Those have been their five best options in the defensive backfield going into the year. They didn't have any of them. And one of the things I mentioned very much so before the game was I was critical of Joe Barry against the Steelers because he played that game like there was a catch 22 of like where you are in no man's land and you have to play the pass and the run. And uh, how do we possibly defend this when you just needed to play the run, basically? And this game was more of a catch 22 of like, as you mentioned, you play the run they're probably going to beat you in the past. They play the past that they have a chance and opportunity to beat you in the run. And I thought they were, they were a little bit more aggressive. They switched things up a little bit more. They used some more unique formations. They almost like they tinkered with what looked like almost like a four, three at times. They, they just were a, a lot more creative in this game. And I did think that, you know, still there's going to be those opportunities where Herbert's going to have the, have the ability to beat you. Um, he did that on multiple occasions and then they got lucky on some occasions as well, mm-hmm. but Green Bay was not in a perfect position going into this game. So whether it's via thankful to a slippery turf that caused Austin Eckler to slip or the Green Bay Sun that uh, was able to get in Keenan Allen's eyes on a couple different occasions or Quentin Johnson just dropping a deep ball at the end, whatever it might be, you will take that. Um, and as you mentioned, Green Bay's been on the other side of that on numerous occasions where they've been the one coughing up some huge opportunities. So you know, take what you can get. One of, one of the players that you mentioned that I did want to dig into a little bit more. I've definitely brought him up this week, but I know um, I think you had an article out there on him as well is, is Corey Ballantyne. And this to me is one of those cool stories. And it's a maybe slightly frustrating story because if you want one fun story, you, it's like, it seems every year it's the guy that's an unrestricted free agent in the next year. It's never the guy that's got like three years left on his deal. 
But, um, you know, we've seen this a little bit with like Rudy Ford last year and there's been, you know, Keyshawn Nixon, there's been others as well. It's always the one year deal guys, Paul, every single time, <laughs> but, um, Corey Ballantyne, this is a guy that did not make the 53 coming out of camp was a end of season pickup at the end of last year, played some decent special teams duty, you know, got into a, a handful of games on defense last year, but practice squad guy this year, if anything was going to get called up to be a special teams guy, that was what his role was going to be. Emergency corner at absolute best thinking kind of like Jared Bush esque, where it's like, he's a special teams guy. If you need him to play a handful of plays, he can probably get through it, but you're probably not wanting a whole heck of a lot more than that. Well, surprise, surprise, he gets to be your starting corner for a decent chunk of the season, including going against Justin Herbert. And while it's been not perfect, it's been pretty freaking good. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for the play that he's putting out there on tape. Today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I think it's safe to say we've officially reached the holiday season, which is sure to bring a tremendous amount of love and joy and its usual holiday cheer. But let's be real. It's also going to come with in-laws, chaos, and a fair amount of stress and anxiety as well. We've all been there. The holidays are always enjoyable, don't get me wrong, but there are also those holiday moments that we all have to deal with, and we can all deal with them in very different ways. If you're feeling anxious or nervous, sad or stressed, just know those feelings are normal, but also know that there are different ways that you can counteract those feelings. And for me, therapy has given me a beacon to look to in those difficult holiday moments. It's equipped me with the tools necessary to handle and manage a wide range of situations and a wide range of emotions. During therapy, I've learned positive ways to deal with negativity, and I've learned the skills necessary to handle all the curveballs that life likes to throw at us. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so incredibly flexible, and it's adaptable to your unique schedule. Find your bright spot this holiday season with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash packaday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash packaday. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Pick's favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making Prize Picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Price picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, all things considered, because with these, uh, I don't know if journeyman is the right way to describe Corey Ballantyne. Sure. He's been been in the NFL since 2019, undrafted rookie out of Washburn, I believe. Uh, he's, you know, the most snaps he played in his career was his rookie year at the Giants, 298. Right now, he's closing in on that mark, but he's primi- primarily been a practice squad player and went on the active roster special teams. This is now his, what would that be? Fifth NFL season. Yeah. Uh, 
you don't know what you're going to get with those type of players. Uh, this isn't a, a Carrington Valentine who's a rookie coming out who you've given snaps to over the summer who took advantage of those opportunities where you, you see some upside, you see some potential. This is a this is kind of who we have left right now. He's been in the system for calendar wise about a year. Um, so in that regard, he's the most experienced compared to like a Robert Rochelle, a Caillou Blue Kelly. So, hey, that's who we're going with right now. So, again, you don't know really what to expect. You just hope it's not disastrous. And it's been far from that with yeah. uh, with Valentine on the field. One of the things that really stood out to me and I it was during the Steelers game is every time they, you know, through his direction, I was always impressed with just how close he was in the area, how he was challenging the wide receivers. And then sitting in the press box on, on this past Sunday, you could again see that when the ball went his direction. So I know pro, pro football focus tracks that. And so I went to look at what those numbers were. So he's been targeted 11 times over these two games, which is a fair amount. You can tell as they should quarterbacks are going at him. He's given yeah. up only five receptions and he's forced four incompletions again from that uh, that ability that he's shown to challenge those receivers and to put that into a perspective that's 36 percent of his targets he's forced an incompletion on over this again small sample size but over that two-week span out of 61 eligible quarterbacks that's the second highest rate in football again then not saying it's sustainable not saying he's the guy moving forward but just to put into perspective what he's done with this opportunity that's been in front of him and he's also shown to be you know even when he does give up receptions that he's right there i think he's averaging in terms of what he gives up just over 2 yards after the catch so again he's right there he's been a sure sound tackler for the most part and i know that that was an aspect of his game i think it was the detroit game where valentine started uh, and then Valentine ended up going in and Matt LaFleur said afterwards that was partly a product because we expected them to run the ball. So they wanted Valentine uh, out there who they felt a, at least a little bit more confident in compared to Valentine at that time to help in that regard. So he's definitely, uh, like I said, the way he challenges the football, I think there's, like you said, it's not been perfect by any means. I think there's opportunities in those situations to get his head around a little quicker, locate where the ball is. But overall, like I said, at the beginning of this you don't know what the heck you're going to get with that type of pretty much career practice squad guy um, yep. who's given this opportunity. And he's at least been able to provide some stability at this cornerback group that, man, look back at August at what the cornerback group is now. Or you'd be like, what are you talking about? Just the the ups and or the the change that has had to take place due to injuries. Obviously, Razul Douglas being traded, like don't even recognize this cornerback room anymore, but he's helped provide some stability. No, he really has. And like you said, like this could turn on a moment's notice and you could have a tough rest of the year. I'm sure they're going to continue to target him. There's some things that he lacks as a like overall player, but um, I really like those stories when somebody gets that opportunity and makes the most of it. And it's not going to be the sexiest thing in the world. It's not going to be the front page of the paper or the sports section uh, outdating myself as much as I can here. Uh, but you get my point. Like it's not going to make all the headlines, but at the end of the day, he's playing good football. He's competing week in and week out. And like there's been times in the past where Packers have put corners out like that. And it's just an unmitigated nightmare. And it's been far from that. And it's been fun watching him play and compete. And I think just like some extent, it's going to continue that way for him moving forward. He's going to get beat from time to time, but I like what he's putting on tape. I like the way he competes. And like I said, I think that's going to continue. All right, let's move to the offensive side of the ball. I wanted to get your thoughts on a couple things. I, I don't know what to do with the, the run game, Paul, because this felt like a get right opportunity against a Chargers front that quite frankly, wasn't mm -hmm. very good. 
they still couldn't find ways to run the ball. It lacks attention to detail. Guys aren't hitting their landmarks as blockers. They can't move anyone. Um, now Jones is is out again, at least for some period of time. We'll see. Maybe he can make it back by KC. But this has been an absolute grind. And for the record, I think Dylan's playing so much better football mm-hmm. than he was earlier in the season. It is fun to watch him too right now. But they just can't block anything up front. That's making things so hard on Jordan. Um, but I, I don't know where to go from here from a running standpoint. Yeah, before I dive into the offensive line, just a quick tangent on Dylan. You know, during training camp and then early on in the season when Ben Sermon's running back coach was talking to us, the thing they kept going back to with Dylan is just has to let his natural abilities take over. And we heard Dylan talk about that to a degree too. Like his, Dylan said his word this year is dominance rather than trying to be perfect. And hearing him describe that, it kind of put what we saw last year and even the start of this season into perspective. It looked like someone who was out there thinking too much, just trying to do everything exactly how it's supposed to go by the book rather than just getting the ball, realizing you're 250 pound running back reacting and just heading North and South. And he's been much more decisive and it's, he's looked much more explosive as a result of it. But with the offensive line, I think you had, I know you hit the nail on the head there. And I actually asked Josh Myers today, I said, you know, compared to, I don't expect you to give away trade secrets here, but you know, we're looking at week four, where we are now, like what has to be done differently? And his answer, like it wasn't this, you know, expounding answer. It was pretty nonchalant, but it was to your point. They just have to do, you know, not just, but the fundamentals have to absolutely be better for this group. Like, like you said, there's, um, they're not moving people, not getting to their landmarks. And that's a lot of what this is. Like, even when Dylan was struggling in the year in part, that was a product of, well, he's getting hit in the backfield. Like they're, yeah. these running backs, a lot of times aren't even having the opportunity to get going. And now this week they're coming up against this lion's defensive front, as we saw in week four can absolutely dominate the game. They're shorthanded at the running back position. I feel like the the quick passing game for the Packers this week is almost going to have to be their running game. You know, getting the running backs involved in that capacity, uh, get the ball out of Love's hands quickly, just a, a different a different dynamic to hopefully help, you know, like I said, mirror the running game a little bit to at least give them that bit of an element, but it's it's been an issue for the entire season, as we all know. And then there's just this massive trickle down effect to it. They've been what I will say is as of late, the there haven't been nearly as many negative plays, I guess, yeah. if we're looking for a little bit of positivity around this group. Like they're not in second and twelves anymore. It's at least maybe a second and seven, second and eight, kind of keeping up with the sticks to yeah. at least put you in a not disadvantageous disadvantageous situation as an offense. So there's been a little bit of progress in that regard, but I look at that Rams game as kind of the blueprint for what you would hope this run game could be for the Packers offense. And again, they weren't ripping off chunk runs in that game by any means, but it was at least a steady in that game, kind of four yards per rush, second and six, third and two, even ahead of the sticks and just the opportunities that that can open up for the passing game. Think of the burden that that could take off of Jordan Love's shoulders. You know, your first time starting quarterback, having a run game to lean on, having play action to utilize throughout the game could do wonders for him, could do wonders for his receivers, but they just haven't had the opportunity to to get that going. And like I said, we know what this Lions defensive front can do. And one of the other things that Josh Myers mentioned when talking about them was it's not just who the personnel is that they have. It's what they do schematically from uh, disguising, the switching of personnel, the blitzes that they utilize. Like they throw a ton of stuff 
at the offense. We talk about a lot on the offensive side of the ball, the eye candy aspect of it, you know, the Fleur's word, the illusion of complexity. To a degree, the Lions are doing that on the defensive side pre-snap to just cause chaos, cause confusion for the offensive line. And uh, like like we've seen, you know, we're over halfway through the season right now. There isn't any sign at this point that it's going to all of a sudden the switch is going to flip. They just have to kind of make the best, I feel like, with what they have, which I can't imagine was part of the game plan coming into the season. Talked about it last week. What were the core things coming into the year that this team could lean on? You thought one of them would be the run game, the running back duo they have, who we thought the offensive line was going to be this year, but just hasn't been there. And there's just a massive negative trickle down effect to the rest of the the rest of the offense. And again, I keep going back to this Lions front, but if you cannot get if you're gonna put yourself in obvious passing situations where that front can just pin its ears back, as we saw in week four, good luck. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's where the game starts and ends for me. This Lions front ate the Packers offensive line for breakfast, spit it out, spit him in their face, and uh it's just a complete nightmare. And they got to do much better up front against that group. The Lions, how they twist and stunt and play games up front is one of the best in the league. It's not just like you said, having an Aiden Hutchinson, but they will they will confuse the crap out of you. And Green Bay has low-key been bad at some of that stuff of just kind of passing off some of the, the assignments and, and blocking everyone upright doesn't always go according to plan. So that's going to be another sort of game within a game for this Packers offensive line against the Lions defensive line. Speaking of that Packers offensive line, I wanted to talk to you not so much about the rest, but I wanted to talk to you more about the left tackle because uh, I know in this game that you had mentioned, it felt like at least at halftime of this game, the time for the rotation to be done. It like Rashid was just playing better than Yash. And I'm at that point on the season as a whole. Um, They're both inconsistent. They're both going to need help. They're they're neither are a perfect option to start there. I do think Yash is maybe a slightly better run blocker, but it's not, noticeable enough to really make a major difference. Whereas I think Rashid's been a better pass protector specifically this past week. I really liked what he put on film this past week. It does seem to me that it's just Rashid time at this point. Where are you at with it? Yeah, hundred percent agree. Uh, like you mentioned, I do a, I do an instant takeaways article right after the game. And one of the bullet points in there was they could have stopped that uh, rotation at halftime to me, what I was seeing, I know your grades, uh, show that as well that Walker was by far playing better holding up better in that game than Yash Nyman and like you said you know it's looking at the construction of the team and again we go back to the evaluation standpoint of it but Yash is likely playing elsewhere in 2024 Rashid Walker is only in year three of his rookie deal at that point like he's going to be someone who's going to be a part of this team to what degree next year a starter a swing tackle we don't know yet but give him these reps, give him this learning opportunity to get a better idea of where he stands and who he can be for you moving forward. And we we talk about a lot and everyone knows just how important the play of the offensive line is. Uh, so it'd be one thing if Yash was, you know, outperforming Walker consistently, but that's not the case. In fact, as you mentioned, as you laid out, uh, Walker has been better, especially in these last two games. Like he's someone who looks like who's trending in the right direction and you want to capitalize that, maximize those opportunities and let him do his best to build upon the performances that he's had. And when Adam Stenovich was, cause he obviously he was asked about that a few times today and just kept going back to the word competition that is, I guess that's kind of the, the cornerstone of the reasoning behind this. It's not just to see, all right, who's the guy right now, but I sounds like they're just, planning on these two kind of fueling each other and hopefully 
through that competition. The the play of each gets elevated. But I also have to imagine, especially an offensive tackle where and just offensive line in general, where I do think and I know many do think that continuity is an important aspect of offensive line play, rotating these guys constantly. It's got to be tough to get into a rhythm when you're uh, not in, when you're in every other series. And then as far as uh, Sean Ryan and John Runyon, uh, Stenovich's exact words were, uh, we'll rotate Ryan in. And then these were exact words when it feels right. I don't even know what that means. When does it feel right? When you got a gut feeling, when, you know, clock strikes the right time. Like, I don't even know what that means, but apparently my understanding, my takeaways from it is this competition, this rotation doesn't seem to be going away uh, anytime soon. looks like something that they're going to stick with for the time being. If they like competition, are they open to me suggesting a couple other positions that could use some, uh, some competition on it? But uh, no, I digress. Um, That's fine. I'm I'm not overly mad at it, but like, like you kind of said, if if somebody wins the competition clearly and is playing better then ride the hot hand. And like, if they want to go into it and say like, Hey, first half, Sean Ryan, John Runyon Jr. You're going to split series. Yash Nyman, Rashid Walker, you're going to split series. Whoever plays better in the first half, whoever gets hot, we're going to go within the second half. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, maybe still not ideal, but I can, I can live with that a little bit more. But if one of those guys is playing well, like that first, like the frustrating with this, this past week, I didn't think Sean looked great in his series that he was in. It wasn't like awful, but the, 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 what three weeks ago when it happened, when they put him in for the, the series, he looked awesome in that series. Mm-hmm. That would be something to me of like, Oh, he looked really good in that series. Let's give him another. Like, like that looks really good. Like, why not stick with him one more? And then if he struggles in that series, okay, let's, let's go back to John and we can talk to Sean and see what went wrong and how we can correct that and whatever. But like, if one of those guys just starts playing well, don't stop, 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 stop the rotation, stop it and just kind of continue with the, whatever's going well, but we'll see if they actually, uh, you know, kind of go with that or if they just kind of keep the rotation, what it is, but competition, not terrible. But again, if, mm-hmm. if one of them's playing ahead, let them play. Um, all right. I wanted to talk about this. I know we talked a little bit about the, the playmakers and the receiving core. And unfortunately all of them have injuries and are banged up in some capacity, but uh, you brought up a great statistic, 198 yards after the catch for the offense this week, which, I thought not only is an important stat for this offense, but it was noticeable on tape. The Dontavian Wicks one is the one that's going to stand out to everyone running through contact. Uh, but then the acceleration afterwards, this isn't a run after catch scenario, but I thought the Jaden Reed reverse, not the one he scored on the other one where there's just a slight crease there and you can see the acceleration mm-hmm. and how he's able to get through there, navigate it and get up to speed and just kind of run past some people. Those are some of the things that I've been missing in this offense. And I thought it was very noticeable in this game. And I'm hoping that it's something, at least when these guys are healthy, that can continue moving forward. Yeah. So that 198 yak that they had against the Chargers, obviously that was their most of the season in a single game. Their second most was 153 in week one against the Chicago Bears. So it's been a while. And also yep. they blew that even that figure out of the water. Uh, you mentioned the the speed, the playmaking that those two possess, but also they got like a sixth sense for just knowing where the open grass is, that feel for where to sit down in the route or where to keep pushing through to find that open that open area. Uh, just a, kind of some veteran-like savvy from both of those players in that regard, which obviously helps them get the ball in space where then that speed, that, that uh, playmaking ability that they have with the ball in their hands can take over. 
Tucker Kraft got in on the action. I mean, he talked about it after the game that that type of play is what he was, how he was utilized a lot during this time at, at South Dakota State. And I think we talked about it on here can kind of how they're trying to get Musgrave involved in that capacity uh, to get him some touches earlier in the season. But, you know, that's that's Tucker Kraft's bread and butter. Just so he got in on the action as well. And I think the, you know, what we're, what we're seeing right now is the, obviously there's been, an, they haven't had a go-to guy in the passing game. It's a must-have it situation. Who are you going to? They haven't had that guy. It looks like Reed and or Wicks could potentially become that guy for them. But I think what we're seeing right now is the advantage that this offense has when healthy is that they have a lot of guys that they can go to in any given situation. Yep. They have a handful of guys, regardless of the down, regardless of the distance, that Jordan Love could throw the ball to. And they have the ability to win. They have the ability to make plays after the catch because they have that versatility, that athleticism that this group has as a whole. And for a defense, even though it's not this, you know, one take over the game type of guy that they might have right now, that's going to stress you. You know, that's going to be an added stressor of not necessarily knowing, all right, where's the ball going to go in this given situation? Who, you know, which way should we lean towards, you know, trying to take something away when you know the ball could literally go in any one of those directions? And I think part of that yak that we saw from this Packers this past week was one product of the, the, the defense you're going up against, but two, when you have that many guys who are finding success, who have that playmaking ability, again, it's going to help space the defense out rather than kind of what we saw earlier in the season when things were struggling and things are more condensed for them. And, you know, Adam Stenovich has talked about how they've seen a lot of uh, too high safety this season. Obviously, uh, the MO of that is to help eliminate some of the, the vertical passing opportunities. So if there's going to be fewer of those type of throws for you, you still need that ability to generate chunk plays. So getting those guys the ball in space and them having the ability to do that is has been a big catalyst for this offense. Honestly, it's been the biggest catalyst for this offense over the last few weeks. Yeah, I know it's a bummer that Luke Musgrave is hurt, but I, for one, am very excited to see what Tucker Craft can do in an expanded role. And I just gut feel, I think he's really going to make the most of it. And I'm excited to see what that looks like. Um, it's also pretty impressive with all the injuries, assuming Jaden Reed can find a way to go that with all the injuries on this team, they can still put an 11 personnel on the field. That's Dylan Kraft, Dobbs, um, Reed and Watson, like even with all the injuries, like they can still put out a pretty good uh, 11 personnel. That's at least competitive, if nothing else. Um, and that's, again, when you've got a bunch of guys banged up, that's that, you know, sometimes you lose your top couple guys or guys that are like making a big impact for you and you don't have that depth green Bay does. And that's a, a positive that they can lean on in this game. But I think the yards after catch is going to continue. And you mentioned the innate ability craft Reed, wick. Some of those guys have it. And I think that's going to continue moving forward. All right, moving off the defense, moving off the offense. Wanted to spend a hot second on special teams. Usually don't talk about it too much because, you know, what's the fun in talking too much about special teams? But a few takeaways. Anders Carlson finding a little bit of struggles lately. I think the snapping hasn't been perfect either, but um, you can tell he's going through it a little bit right now. Keyshawn Nixon getting closer and closer. It feels like to maybe breaking one of these. He's still so dynamic with the ball in his hands, mm -hmm. and uh, it just feels like maybe one of those is coming, hopefully sooner rather than later. And then don't look now, but the one and only Zane Anderson coming up with some big special teams tackles. I think you mentioned he has three um, over the course of the past uh, few games, which is uh, right up there with all, like the team leaders already. Mm -hmm. So thoughts on the uh, state of the Packers special teams? Yeah, uh, hit and miss up and down, kind of like the rest of the team. I think we talked about last week and and I had brought up how 
it's flying under the radar to a degree just because of everything else that's going on with this team. But we've seen some high highs with the special teams unit, but there's still been the lows mixed in there as well to kind of help balance everything out. But Carlson's going through that Rick, that rookie slump, you know, or the, you know, rookie ups and downs, I should say that many are going to experience. I know the the extra point in Pittsburgh was blocked, but that's two missed extra points in the last two games. He's missed three field goals over the last five games. And as you all know, this isn't a team, this isn't an offense that can afford to waste those opportunities to put points on the board. Every single point matters. And I, I can't imagine I was the only one on Sunday when down four from a mixed missed extra point that had some deja vu to just the week prior. But obviously, unfortunately, or fortunately, I should say, they were able to overcome it this time. Uh, Keyshawn Nixon, like you said, getting super, super close and, you know, so much so that the Chargers, they were they were uh, doing those pooch kicks yeah. to the corner just to get the ball uh, away for him or at least not give him the the same opportunity to try to return. And then in the second half, uh, especially when they were going towards the, the north end zone, I believe, I think the wind was going that direction that day. They were just booting it through the end zone just to, again, not even give him the opportunity. That's the type of of presence that he brings to this team. And then Zane Anderson, three special teams tackles in the last three games. And to put that into perspective, Jonathan Owens leads the team with five, and that's over the full course of this season so far. So have to think that part of the equation anyways in them moving on from Levitt, and there's a number of reasons. Part of it's just circumstance. It's unfortunate that, hey, we got issues or injuries at running back. We got to make some changes. Someone has to go. Like that's to a degree just the nature of the beast of the NFL, but also having Zane Anderson making these type of plays and to a degree having both those guys on the roster together is a bit redundant. You have two safeties who are core special teamers who aren't going to see the field on defense. Like you don't need two of those guys on your NFL roster as is, especially when you're going through injuries. So again, there's a number of, of factors that go into that went into that decision as we all know, but I think Zane Anderson's play in recent weeks, his emergence now fully healthy uh, was, was a part of that equation for green Bay. And if you are going to go with one, go with the younger one that's under contract yes. in the future, which is what they did. By the way, that, that pooch kick or the, 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 the one that went high in the air, that was a beautiful uh, kick. But Malik Heath's got to know to uh, fair catch that thing, get yep. it out to the 25 and make sure he gets under it because you don't want to be starting inside your own 20. And simple fair catch and, uh, um, you know, catching that's bring that, bringing that out to the 25. But things young players will get over time, hopefully. All right, before we get you out of here, Packers-Lions thoughts, um, you know, Thursday game coming up, Thanksgiving. Hopefully Green Bay can have all of us keep our dinner down, whether that's a Thanksgiving turkey, ham, or a – Maybe a Thanksgiving pizza, whatever it might be. There you go. Uh, yeah, uh, we talked about the trenches on the Packers offensive side of the ball, so I'll just flip it to the other side with the defense because, as we all remember, this was a game where the Lions rushed for 211 yards. They just – both sides of the ball just bully, just dominated the trenches in that game against Green Bay. And I, I, I wrote about this over at Packers Wire and went through some of my – my notes from that week and some of the quotes that I had, and this was the game I'm sure everyone remembers where Matt Fleur said, philosophically, we have to do something different. And there was one line in particular in that post-game presser where he goes, if you're going to try to stop the run, then commit to stopping the run instead of kind of this, you know, staying in your two shell or kind of wishy-washy trying to, you know, defend both. You can't, you got to pick one or the other and do your best to try to take that facet away. So my guess is that we're going to see more of that from this Packers team in this game, having, you know, maybe some more single high and additional defender closer to the line of scrimmage. Cause Joe Barry said it today. That's where it 
that's where it all starts for this Lions team. Like one of the truly impressive aspects about Detroit, we know they want to run the ball. Every opponent knows they want to run the ball. And you know what they do really well? They still run the football on you. Like that's that's a definition of dominance in football. When you know what they're going to do and you still cannot stop them. Uh, Joe Barry. Really, really fun. Joe Barry called it the the, uh, best offensive line in football that they have. So they're going to try to establish a run. And then they're really, really good once they do that at uh, play action. Jared Goff is top five in completion percentage, top five in yards. He's 10th in uh, yards per attempt all off of play action this season. So it's there's that's why they're eight and two. That's why they're playing as well as they are. There isn't just this one thing that you focus on and take away. There's other aspects of it. But if there's any glimmer of hope, any chance of success that that def- that this defense is going to have in this game, it starts up front and at least not letting them dominate in that facet of the game, limiting them, hopefully putting them in some obvious passing situations, allowing the strength of your unit, your pass rush to have the opportunity to just go from point A to point B to get the quarterback Uh, help your secondary out as well by generating some of that pressure. But this is a game where I think they're going to have to commit uh, an additional defender to help to try to limit that aspect of the game. Your, your secondary to the, to a degree going to be on their own a little bit. And you just kind of got to live with the results in, in, in that regard. If they go out and they are constantly beating you over the top, you know, it's a good football team. And I, you know, you got to pick something to take away and for, for this lions team, that comes with trying to do that against the run. Yeah. And the hard part is Ben Johnson. So good at finding mismatches in the secondary. Mm-hmm. Jair would be so nice to have against Amon Ross St. Brown. Cause that dude will cook any corner one-on-one on any given play. Jamison Williams back. He came up with an explosive play. He wasn't even available in week four against green Bay. So to say this is a challenge is a massive understatement. And if only there was something that was similar between the 49ers, the Lions, and the Eagles that would say, like, why they're so successful. And I, I don't know, maybe like their incredible performance and talent on the offensive and defensive lines that uh, consistently allow them to win in the trenches every single week might have something to do with it. Paul, awesome stuff as always. Where can we find all of your amazing work and where can we follow, uh, find you on social media? Appreciate it, Andy. You can find all my work over at Packers Wire. Uh, hit subscribe on YouTube. Channel's name is Paul Brettel. And follow me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. Make sure to give him a follow. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. That's going to do it for us. For Paul Brattle, I'm Andy Herman. Until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.